Good to be here with you. Matthew Bolte is my name and this is my wife and co-worker and ministry partner, uh, Catherine. And it's just a delight uh, to be here with you this morning. I'm going to open up with an opening statement and hopefully we'll get to the end and go, oh, okay, that might be actually close to biblically true. Churches that pray together impact cities. Churches that pray together impact cities. And tonight at uh, six o'clock, we'll take that one step further. Churches that pray and fast together impact nations. So in the book of Acts, we see an incredibly powerful move of God. We see an outpouring of God's spirit. Thousands of people are swept into the kingdom. Multiple people baptised, filled, sent out to the ends of the earth. We see that the, the poor are cared for. The widows are looked after. We see people being released into all sorts of ministry. And this is clearly a sovereign act of God. And let's get that up and out front first. This is a work of God and God only by His Holy Spirit through the power of the risen Lord Jesus. That's what happens. That's that's what happens when God turns up. Now I want to look at what this church here in Jerusalem did in preparation for that. Uh, And I'm not trying to give you a formula to say if you do A, B, C and D, then then this is going to happen. But I can tell you that the believers in the church in Jerusalem put themselves in a position to be used by God. And we can do none other, is that correct? We, We want to put ourselves in a position to be used by God. Do we have any secret Methodists here, by the way? You know, going way back, because my, my roots and my family roots go back into the Methodist church. Can you remember the covenant service early on in the Methodist church? Lord, at the beginning of this year, you take me and use me as you will. Lift me up or put me down. Put me aside or put me to work. Uh, make me busy, make me quiet. And, and this is kind of, well, Lord, I'm here. I'm willing to be used. And I want to look at what it means to put yourself in that position. So we see the sovereign work of God in Acts chapter 2 with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire, thousands of people saved, and the church is set on fire. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 5, the religious leaders in Jerusalem are complaining that you have filled Jerusalem with the name of Jesus. You've filled Jerusalem all about Jesus. Well, friends, what, what a great insult would it be for this church here if Geelong is saying, how dare you? You've filled Geelong with the name of Jesus. Wouldn't that be good? Can I just parenthetically, and that's a good word, I must have used that the other day. Can I parenthetically say, you have a history of that in this city going all the way back to the 1850s and 60s, where you had over a 1,000 people gathering regularly in the Mechanics Institute, crying out to God for an outpouring of His Spirit across all the churches. 
You have revivals that have broken out in this city in the 1860s, the 1870s. Uh, You have revivals that sprung up out of Geelong and burst out into Melbourne in the early 1900s and then went from Melbourne to North Korea. It wasn't North Korea then, Pyongyang. And even antecedents of that went over to Wales before the Welsh revivals began. You have an amazing history here in Geelong of outpourings of God's Spirit. So let's dig into the Scriptures here and look what this church in Jerusalem did to put themselves in a position to be used by God because we can do none other than that. Now the first thing that this church in Jerusalem did was that they were clearly, heavily and often instructed about the Kingdom of God. And that's important to get a hold of that because their focus becomes the kingdom. Their focus is on the kingdom, not on numbers. Their focus is not on building a name for themselves. Their focus is not on surviving. Their focus is on the kingdom. Why? Because Jesus spent 40 days with them. And we see that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. 40 days instructing them about the kingdom of God. What a great teacher. Would we like to be instructed about the kingdom of God by Jesus himself? Yeah, well, that would be kind of cool to be, you know, in the kingdom of God school with Jesus. You know that that's possible today, don't you? You know that Jesus says, you know, I need to leave and go to be with the Father because it's going to be better for you because who's going to come? The Holy Spirit's going to come. And according to John 14, 15 and 16, where the work of the Holy Spirit is clearly unpacked, what is one of the roles and purpose of the Holy Spirit? To teach us what Jesus taught. We'll get a hang of this in Luke chapter 12. And sorry, sound guys, I've switched backwards between uh, scriptures. But in Luke 12, verse 31, Jesus gives this instruction, seek the kingdom of God above all else. So who do we need to continually prompt us and prod us to seek the kingdom? His spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, the encourager, who gets alongside. So an encourager can, you know, when you fall in, oh, come on, let's get up. But an encourager is also, come on, let's go for the finish line. Let's go, come on, get your eyes on the kingdom above all else. And the promise is amazing in Luke 12, 32. Look at this, Jesus speaking to his disciples, speaking to us here, one hope, don't be afraid little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. What a promise. And you might like to quietly say, yes, please, Lord. I mean, that's an amazing promise that the Lord Jesus gave. Focused on the kingdom. Jesus taught them for 40 days about the kingdom after the resurrection, before Pentecost. So all this is happening before God pours out his Holy Spirit in fire in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 1, they've spent 40 days with Jesus learning about the kingdom. 
You see, the kingdom of God was Jesus' primary preaching focus. He went from town to town and village to village in Luke 4 verse 43. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns too because that is why I was sent. And then in, by the time we get to Luke 9 and 10, Jesus is not only saying, I was sent to declare the kingdom of God. He trains up the 12 in Luke chapter 9 and the 72 in Luke chapter 10 and equips them and releases them to do what? Declare that the kingdom of God is near. And he adds those words, call people to repent, big Bible word for turn around and go the other way. Turn around and go the other way. Turn around and have a look, Geelong, because the kingdom of God is right here. Right here. So how are we going to get our focus on the kingdom? Well, you can get your focus on the kingdom in the prayer room and you can get your focus on the kingdom in the scriptures. Here's some homework for you. Don't you love homework? Thought you got past all that. Here's your homework. Please write this down and there will be a test next week. Is that right? Excellent. I would like to encourage you to read Matthew chapter 13 several times this week and make some little notes in your prayer journal. And if you don't have a prayer journal, go buy one. And write down what the Holy Spirit shows you about the kingdom of God. Because there are eight parables there in Matthew chapter 13 about the kingdom. So if we're going to be focused on the kingdom, not on numbers and not on the fellowship and not on surviving. If we're going to be focused not on having a great building or, or all the kind of latest technology. Now that's not saying it's wrong to have all that stuff. But our focus has got to be on the kingdom. Well we need to understand what Jesus taught about the kingdom. So get into the word. And, and look at what he says in Matthew 13. That's just a starting place. Get into your prayer closet and say, Holy Spirit, open this up for me and sit and wait. Because we're going to see in a minute, waiting is a really cool instruction that Jesus gives to the church. So they were focused on the kingdom of God. The second thing that they did to put themselves in a position to be used by God is they worshipped Jesus and Jesus only. Not only were they focused on the kingdom, but they worshipped Jesus. Have a look at Luke 24 verse 50. You see, this is all before the Holy Spirit is poured out in power in Acts chapter 2. Luke 24 verse 50. Then Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. Verse 52, so they worshipped him. Friends, down through the centuries, that has been the focus of the church, Jesus and Jesus only. And when we've got our eyes on the Lord Jesus, then we haven't got our eyes on ourselves. And the church gets into trouble when we start thinking about ourselves. It's Jesus and Jesus only. If you'd like some more homework, Google the word Moravians. 
and have a look at the Moravians and their focus and they set the mission pattern for just about every Protestant mission that's ever occurred since the Great Awakening and missionaries were sent out all over the world. It's their model and their pattern. And this is part of what they were focused on. This is what they did. Not only declaring the kingdom, they said, tell people about the Lamb of God until you can tell them no more. And all their worship, all their songs were focused on Jesus, the Lamb of God. The leader of that Moravian revived church in the 1720s, Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf, isn't that a cool name? Was a hymn writer. Now I understand some of the leadership of your church may have been involved in writing uh, uh, music. Uh, is that correct somewhere along the line? Hmm. Well Zinzendorf wrote a hymn about Jesus the Lamb of God. Remember the stuff about Methodists? Any Methodists sneaky ones here? You remember all the you know, seven verse John Wesley hymns with a chorus in it as well? And you get to the end and you're just about dead because you can't, can't speak anymore. Well, Zinzendorf's hymn about Jesus, the Lamb of God, at the centre of this revived community was 100 verses long. Whew! And he insisted to be sung at his funeral. <laughs> and you might ask why. And the answer was so that the focus would be on Jesus and not on him. Worshipping Jesus. And isn't it great when we gather together and worship and it just lifts your heart. Have you noticed what happens when the music team plays a song about Jesus or the blood or the cross or something? And it, it just it stirs something in here. Have you noticed that? You know, it's right and proper that we sing other focus in other songs about, you know, we're a people of power and all that kind of stuff. That's okay. But when we get focused on Jesus, something happens. It lifts us out of here and connects us to the throne room of heaven because that's exactly what's going on there. They worshipped Jesus. They were focused on the kingdom. They worshipped Jesus. The third thing that the, this church in Jerusalem did to put themselves in a place to be moved and used by God is that they were filled with joy, which led to praise. Praise was on their lips. Now, Kathy and I travel the nation extensively, teaching in churches all around the nation. And some churches look like they've been drinking lemon juice. And you've got to wonder why someone would want to turn up to a place like that when it's just old sourpuss. But you see, here in the book of Acts and the end of Luke's gospel, they worship Jesus and then it says in verse 52 of Luke 24, and they return to Jerusalem filled with joy. Here's the bottom line. If you hang out with Jesus, joy is just going to bubble out. That's an obvious thing. You want to know who believers are? Look for the ones filled with joy. Because it just bubbles out. Well, we're joyful, aren't we? Our sins have been forgiven and we've been washed clean. That's just the beginning of the story. And God has says, I want to use you and send you and I want, I want you to go there and I'm going to come and make a difference through you. I mean, that's got to fill you to overflowing with joy and excitement. This was what this church was. They were filled with, with joy that bubbled out as praise. Now, I know I'm harping on the old Methodist, but go back to the old Methodist hymn book. Anyone got one hidden in your bookshelf somewhere or other? No, dig it out. 
and go and look at all those hymns that are, you know, seven or eight verses long. You know, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise. Anyone know that hymn even at all? We got, yeah, look, see, look at all the secret Methodists we got hiding in here. I know I'm in a Baptist church, but look, you see, that, that, that bubbled out of them. And, and I know you think, oh, no, boring old hymns. Friends, those hymns were written in white hot revival. There were thousands upon thousands of people swept into the kingdom in, uh, in, the United, in the United Kingdom in the 1740s up to the 1750s. Thousands. And those hymns were pub tunes that the Wesleys put godly words to. And so people out in the coal mines and the paddocks could sing these, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Imagine that echoing across a whole town. They were filled with joy. The fourth thing that we see in this church, and this is the crunch time now, because these guys were obedient to Jesus' instructions. And not just the big ones, even the detailed small ones, they were obedient. How do we put ourselves in a place to be used by God? We get our focus on the kingdom. We worship the Lord Jesus. We're filled with joy and praise and we are prepared to be obedient to every instruction that the Lord gives us. Look at these instructions that Jesus gave the disciples before the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2. Luke 24 verse 49. And now... I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Like it was a simple instruction, wasn't it? Just stay here. But what if they'd gone off fishing like they had previously? Then they weren't in a position to be used, were they? They just had to wait to be used. Or in Acts chapter 4, uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, Acts 1 verse 4. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised as he told you before. Stay here and wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Well, by the time we get to Acts 1 and verse 8, but you will receive power. So this is after the first thing. It will stay and wait. And then when that happens, here's what you're to do. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, the going to the ends of the earth was dependent on waiting for the power from on high. Now, that's a problem in our culture because we don't like to wait for anything. We want everything now. In fact, we want it before now. And, and we're geared and wired that way. But the church in Jerusalem spent time Waiting. They were waiting at least 10 days. Waiting for the Lord. 
They were obedient to him. So here is a question to the leadership of your church. What has the Lord asked you to do? What's he asked you to do? Are you waiting for the Lord's power to come upon you to do what he's asked you to do? Or are you just waiting because you don't know what to do next? You see, there's two different sorts of waiting, isn't there? There's waiting with expectation, and that's what the church was doing in Jerusalem. They knew that Jesus had said, stay here because something amazing is going to happen. The Father is going to do what he promised, and he's going to pour out his spirit. And then, now Jesus, he didn't actually tell them how costly that was going to be to go to the ends of the earth. But of the uh, 12 disciples who were there that got that instruction, 11 of them were martyred. So it was going to cost... But, but that didn't, that, in their own flesh, that, they were, whoa. But when the Holy Spirit came upon them, then, then they were equipped and empowered to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Here's some more homework. I love giving homework. Why don't you study Philip the evangelist? He was a young guy in the church and his first job was the morning tea roster. That's what he had to do. And make sure that this mob and this mob got the same amount of food because they got a bit, you know, upset about it. That was, and he did that faithfully. So I don't know what it is that the Lord's called you to individually, but can I encourage you to do it faithfully under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit? And then, if you like Philip the Evangelist, well, man, he ends up in Samaria telling everybody about Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit says, We'll go out in the desert. I mean, how's an unusual instruction? And he goes out there, Oh, run alongside the chariot. Another really weird instruction. And then all of a sudden, zzz, he's up and gone over. And, and man, but it was one simple step of obedience after another. So don't, don't try and go to the ends of the earth first. Wait, wait for the small instruction and be obedient to that. So are you waiting in expectation or are you just sitting in the departure lounge and they've cancelled another flight and you're just sitting twiddling your thumbs. Waiting in frustration or waiting in obedience for the power from on high to come. And the final thing that we see, the fifth thing, and this is what really put these, these believers in a place to be used by God. Not only were they focused on the kingdom and worshipping the Lord Jesus, not only were they filled with joy and praise that, and, uh, and they were obedient to what they were told to do, even the simple instruction of waiting. But what were they doing while they were waiting? In Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, They all continued with one accord in prayer. Here we go. Here, here is the engine room of the church. One accord in prayer. Many churches have completely removed the engine from the church. You would be 
stunned at how many churches have no prayer meeting before the service, after the service, midweek, and no prayer even during the service. And we wonder why the gospel falls to the ground powerless. Prayer, according to E.M. Bounds in his great uh, book on prayer, prayer causes the gospel to fly to the hearts of people. It's in the prayer room that the power is released. And this is what was going on in the book of Acts in verse 14 of chapter 1. They were in one accord. Now that's a challenging word. That means that your brother who got up your nose this morning, you've already dealt with that and, and dealt with your unforgiveness. Not waited for them to come and say sorry. Oh, I'm just waiting for them. Then I'll, I'll no, no, I don't believe that's how the scriptures describe it. It says, if you know someone's got something against you, go and sort it out. Or if you've got something against someone, go and sort it out. The onus is on us to stay in one accord with others, to deal with that so that we can pray with power and authority. And that's what they were doing. And what was the focus of their prayer? And this is an important thing to get under, to understand this. Because the focus of their prayer wasn't on the internal issues of the church. It wasn't on the pastoral issues of the church. And they're there right and proper to pray for. But in this prayer meeting here in the book of Acts, I can tell you what they were praying for because they had just been instructed for 40 days on the kingdom of God. And Jesus had just told them to wait for the power. So what do you think they might have been praying for? The kingdom and the power. They were waiting. They were crying out, let your kingdom come. Oh, did they get taught that somewhere before, earlier? Where does that come from? Where's that phrase come from? The Lord's Prayer. Oh, that's in Luke 11. They get taught to pray, let your kingdom come. Then they get instructed about the kingdom of God and what it's going to be like and how amazing it's going to be. Do you think mildly they might have wanted to pray for that? Absolutely. And they were told to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. They had no idea what that meant. But they were waiting and expecting. Why? Because Jesus has promised it and the Father had promised it. So it was a double promise. The Father and the Son both promised to pour out God's Spirit to set the church on fire. Churches that pray together in one accord impact entire cities. And that's part of your history, friends. That's who you are in Geelong. That's been here before. That well is here in this city. Well, what does that look like in everyday life in Australia? Is it possible or is this just one of those nice Bible stories that you know, fill in the 30 minutes between the worship and the cup of tea? What does it look like in an Australian country town when believers get focused on the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you the story in closing of a small country town in southeast Queensland that, uh, that we were living in. There was this prayer meeting every second Saturday morning 
at 6 a.m. Yeah. I know you love winter, but 6 a.m. praying in the winter is challenging. At 6 a.m. every Saturday morning, pastors from about five churches, maybe six, and prayer warriors from those five or six churches gathered together to pray and cry out to God for that little country town. And there was a big map of the country town there and it's a fair reasonable size um, district, only about 6,000 people in the whole district, um, but praying it over it, crying out to God, oh, we heard something happen and praying and being together and praying and worshipping in one accord These were Baptists and Church of Christ and AOG and COC and uniting all in the one room together and not fighting about theology but crying out to God for that community. The pastors used to enjoy hanging out together and going to the only restaurant in town, it was a Chinese takeaway, and just hanging out and being friends. We used to play golf on a Monday morning together because the Boona Golf Club, uh, where where this happened, they gave free membership to every pastor of the church. Isn't that cool? Oh, that was really awesome. We were hopeless at golf, but we just had a great time of fellowship taking out the frustrations of Sunday on that golf ball. But you see, there's there's this one accord that's building and growing, and we were praying together crying out together, focused not on our own little churches and congregations because quite frankly, the bunch that we were looking after were fairly pathetic. That gets you down. But when you get together and begin to cry out with God and he gives you a kingdom vision and you're focused on the Lord Jesus, stuff begins to change in your own heart. And then the people who you thought were pretty hopeless actually turn out to be pretty amazing. You just didn't see it through kingdom eyes. Well, as this unity began to stir, one, uh, and it was a Baptist pastor, so let's give the Baptists a a rap. It was a Baptist uh, pastor who said, you know, I believe God is calling us to do a march for Jesus down down the main street of our little country town. This is back in the 90s. uh, Remember marches for Jesus? Maybe you don't, but uh, it was the shine Jesus, shine stuff. So we organised this, uh, this march for Jesus and the, uh, the Baptist pastor had a spiritual gift of administration so he organised all that and, and he was believing for 200 people to march down the main street of this little country town waving flags all dressed up in bright clothes filled with joy and praise singing Shine Jesus Shine and everybody said that'll never happen. <laughs> country people won't do that. They're a bunch of dairy farmers and beef cattle farmers. They're not going to wave banners down the street. But anyway, we went ahead in faith, believing that this was going to happen. On the morning of the, prayer, of the street march down the main street of this little country town, we held a prayer meeting up on the mountain at the back of the town. There were 50 people there at a 6am prayer meeting. 50 now gathered on the top of this mountain to pray before the public witness of the church marching down the main street. Unfortunately, there was a bit of a blue between several pastors on the top of the mountain about which side of the mountain we should be standing on. Because if we stand on this side, we'll be looking at my place and praying for me. No, but if we stand here, we'll be looking at where my place is and where my church is. And so there was this bit of a row going on. But anyway, as per normal in the church, we pretended there was nothing wrong and went out and began to pray. (laughs) Well, you've been there, haven't you? And so we're praying for our region together, but we weren't in one accord. 
And because of that, it developed into a prayer competition. Well, I wasn't going to let the Baptist pray better than me. And so when the Baptist pastor finished praying to the north, the south, the east and the west, I got up and started to pray to the north, northeast and the north, northwest. South, and it was, it was just showing off, friends. I know you think that's hard to believe, but we were. A trusted, godly, well-known person of prayer stepped into the middle of the dueling pastors and said, listen to this, be quiet, you're praying in the flesh. And they turned to me and said, Matthew, get on your knees. Then they turned to the rest of the crowd up there and said, anyone here been hurt by the church that Matthew is pastoring? Come over here and stand in front of him and he's going to apologise for what the church has done that's hurt you. And everybody lined up in front of me. Everybody. And then this person of prayer, after that had gone on, turned to the next part. It might have been the Baptists or the Salvos. I can't remember who got named next. Get on your knees. Have you been hurt by this church? Come and they'll ask your forgiveness for what they've done. And everybody standing in front of me moved over here in front of this mob. And then this one. And then something miraculous occurred. Then we saw families divided by denominational lines hugging and being reconciled to one another because great aunt Dolly had given an organ to this church and they'd thrown it out so we all went over to this church and great uncle Bill gave a Bible and they got, and we went over to that church and now they're all reconciled one to another so now we can pray in one accord because the sin of the church in dividing God's people had been dealt with. How powerful is that? And when we went down from that uh, prayer meeting, there are hundreds of people waiting to march down the main street of this little country town, all dressed brightly, waving flags and singing, Shine Jesus. It was actually part of a whole street march. It was enormous. In fact, the combined churches of the, the Scenic Rim won the Council Event of the Year Award. How cool is that? And in the middle of the main street, the, the music we were using paused and there was a time of uh, confession. This is all recorded on a tape. It was a Graham Kendrick uh, musical. And the words go something like this. You know, we, we, your church, Lord, have sinned against you and against this community by our division. And when that was spoken out, all the pastors of the entire region, and there was about 10 or 12 of us, got on our knees in the middle of a circle, in the middle of this huge crowd in the main street, on our knees and spoke that out loud with the words that were coming over the microphone. Something broke in that town that day. From that moment on, the believers of this region demanded that we have combined evening services across all the churches. And those services were white hot, I must say. 
People were getting saved, healed, delivered. One of those services went for four hours in a country community and there were five preachers speaking at once in different corners of the building that was packed and people were almost falling out the windows. Our kids who were young said, oh, that's the best church we've ever been to. And these are young kids sitting for four hours, you know, in a service. In our little church, we had 40 salvations in one month. This is in a country town. The AOGs, in their prayer meetings, their church prayer meetings, not the combined ones with the rest, just praying on their own, Drunks walking past were physically dragged into the prayer meeting by the Holy Spirit and saved there and there and on the spot. Does that sound like the book of Acts to you? You see, the principle is the same. Get your focus on the kingdom of God. Be filled with joy and praise. Worship Jesus. Those those gatherings together in one another's churches were white hot because the worship, we were all singing and worshipping Jesus together and we were praying in one accord and there were times when we had to deal with our sin. And here's the cream on the top of the cake. One afternoon I was walking down the main street and this really, really aggressive anti-God person in town came up to me and buttonholed me, got right in my face and said, how dare you? I didn't what, what are you Christians doing? You have changed the atmosphere of this town. <laughs> you see, friends, That wasn't a mathematical formula. That was God turning up because we put ourselves in a position to be used by God. This is not, I'm not trying to guarantee this, but but I know that if you spend that time focused on the kingdom, if you worship Jesus, if, if you are filled to overflowing with joy and praise comes out of your mouth. If you are prepared to be obedient, even if it means embarrassing yourself and stepping into the middle of a session of dueling pastors and say, you're in the flesh. Now that's a big call, by the way. And that person was clearly prompted by the Spirit to be obedient even in those little steps and to get together as churches of Geelong and plead in one accord, oh Lord, do it again in Geelong. Would someone like to say amen to that? Lord, do it again. Would the music team come and join me now, please? Lord, would you do that again in this city? You have stirred prayer here before, Lord. We have heard of the stories of your kingdom being poured out in Geelong, where hundreds and hundreds of people were swept into the kingdom in a a two-week period. Oh, Lord, do that again. And Lord Jesus... It's all about you. It's all for your glory and your praise. Because Lord Jesus, you shed your blood for every single person in Geelong. They belong to you. 
They might not know that, but Lord, when they confess You as Lord and Saviour, You receive the due reward for Your suffering. Oh, Father, oh, Lord Jesus, pour out Your Spirit upon us. In Jesus' Name, Amen.